Welcome, everybody, to the Cane and Rinse Podcast, Volume 12, Issue 577, in which we will be discussing the game Spiritfarer. Uh, joining me, Brian Edwards, in Issue 577 are John Salmon. Hello, hello. Rich Davison. Hello. And Tom Quilfelt. Howdy. Howdy to you. <laughs> Uh, channeling Stella's hat there with the howdy. Um, so we will be talking about Spiritfarer today. Um, so before we get into it, um, we're going to, uh, before I even talk about what Spiritfarer is, I'm going to give a big spoiler warning up front. We will be talking about all aspects of this game, but maybe more important than a spoiler warning is a little bit of a trigger warning. Um, this game is about death and particularly end-of-life care. So we'll be talking about things such as, you know, uh, people... Uh, reaching the end of their lives, hospital beds, uh, situations that probably most of us as humans have been affected by in one way or another. So I uh, just wanted to give you that warning up top in case anybody didn't want to listen to things about things like that. So uh, we'll do our best to keep it uh, jolly and cheery for you in the ways that this game attempts to as well. So uh, that's just there up front. So what is Spiritfarer? Um, this is what I came up with. I said Spiritform, Spiritfarer is a platforming, crafting, sailing, farming, end-of-life management simulator. Did I miss anything there, guys? Hugging. Hugging? Hugging simulator? Dedicated hug button. That's always a plus. Fishing? Microwaving? Yeah, is, is cooking <laughs> full under crafting? Crushing? Yeah, probably. It's a, it's a kind Smashing? Of looming? Jumping? Smelting? <laughs> <laughs> um... So yeah, we'll get into it. The Spearfarer, uh, as you can tell by uh, Tom and John's additions there, uh, is a game that has a lot going on inside of it, and uh, we'll talk about that as we get going. So so who made Spearfarer? Uh, Thunder Lotus Games uh, previously had made uh, Jotun and Sundered, um, kind of more dark Metroidvania-type titles. Well, Jotun was more of an action game. Uh, Sundered, definitely a, a, an action uh, Metroidvania, excuse me. And it had uh, two creative directors, uh, Will Dubay and Nicholas Guerin. And uh, Nicholas Guerin uh, had come over from Ubisoft, where he worked on titles such as Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed Origins and Watch Dogs 2. So he made the jump from AAA to kind of independent with Thunder Lotus here. And this was his first big project with uh, Thunder Lotus. I was going to say, not notably, I believe he came on quite late, or so the documentary seemed to suggest. Yeah, I think they were already in the actual development, like kind of had the concept down, right? That's the way I remember it. Yeah. And he came in and kind of like shaped it and pushed it kind of out the door. Um, well, maybe not out the door. I mean, that's probably giving him a little less credit than he deserves there, but um, definitely shaped kind of the vision of it um, from, from what they said. Um, also credited as a writer. Um, it said published by Thunder Lotus of games. This is according to uh, Wikipedia, but also uh, Kowloon Knights was attached with this as well uh, and seen on the splash screen for both the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One versions of the game. Composer is Maxime Lacoste-Lebouy, excuse me um, if uh, I mispronounce those names, goes by Max LL as a stage name responsible for the music. This game was made in Unity and it released for pretty much everything. Um, Linux, Mac, Microsoft Windows, Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, um, iOS and Android and Stadia eventually. It came out on consoles and PCs on August 18 of 2020. And then just a few, three days later, it came out on Stadia, uh, rest in peace. And then about two years after that, October 4th, 2022 on mobile iOS and Android. Um, so that came out in 2020. And then in uh, 2021, Thunder Lotus released an update called the farewell edition. So 
Uh, this is p- uh, per the publication Android Headlines, so you know it's good. Um, through Spear of Farrow's life, it saw three different DLC updates added to the game. The Farewell Edition brings the base game with all the DLC in tow. The Lily update, the Beverly update, and the latest one is the Jackie and Daria update, which we'll talk about as we get going. Um, difficult to source sales from any source other than the developer themselves because it was a digital title that released on many different platforms uh, but per thunder lotus themselves as of december of 2021 so we're going back about a year and a half the game had exceeded 1 million copies sold um, which they view as a as a very large commercial success for their studio um, of about 15 people that developed this game um, as far as reviews went, it did uh, quite well. Um, on Open Critic, it has an 87 top critic average with 91% of critics recommending. PC Gamer, an 85 out of 100. IGN, 9 out of 10. Recommended by Eurogamer. Game Informer gave it an 8. GameSpot gave it a 9. US Gamer gave it a 4. 6Axis gave it an 8. And Forbes gave it a 9. So so kind of 8 nines across the board um, when this game released. As far as user reviews go on IMDb, it sits with an 8.2 with 220 people who would vote for that. And on Steam, this one uh, I was actually surprised about with Steam reviews, but it's it's interesting to me. As someone who does not contribute Steam reviews, I guess I don't quite understand the process. But this one sits at overwhelmingly positive with a whopping 28,385 reviews. Yeah, that's a lot. So. So before we get into the meat and potatoes of it, let's talk about our personal histories. Um, I'm going to start with you, John. Um, I know we had talked about it uh, leading up to recording, but um, this is something I believe you said you came to last year. Was that correct? Um, not quite, no. Um, okay. I'm kind of split on it. So um, I think it was the point where when it was released in August of 2020, I mean, anybody who... I assume at least a couple of us watched the documentary that you linked earlier from The Escapist, which was quite interesting, but had had a fairly long period talking about how kind of releasing a game four or five months into the, the beginning of the COVID pandemic kind of affected the studio quite a lot. So that was a time where um, I, I can't remember exactly what I was doing in August 2020. I feel like I had started going back to to like doing work every day, but I was still kind of, things were still up in the air. Things were still like a little bit lockdowny, a little bit not wanting to interact with people as much as possible. Um, so it was as a lot of periods of my life have been, it was the time that I was listening to a lot of podcasts. And I do remember hearing all of the, the kind of the industry style podcasts that I listened to, you know, all the um, kind of waypoints at the time and giant bomb and stuff, talking a lot about it. And, like talking a lot of very very positive things about the game um but also it i don't want to say these these kind of reviews were coming with a caveat but everything that i heard about it was also talking about the fact that it is kind of long and slow paced and i remember hearing a lot of people saying that even just getting through like the the game itself was a kind of a 25 maybe 30 hour experience and a lot of people also saying that it takes a very, very long time to even pick up. I remember hearing people talking about like two, three hour, almost like tutorial introduction to the game at the beginning. So it, it released and I was I was very intrigued by all of the talk about it. Um, but then they also quite quickly started talking about like adding extra content and stuff. And I thought, oh, one thing that I really don't like about kind of trying to immerse myself into a game, especially a game that talks is talked about in the way that... Um, a spirit fair it is where it's kind of a very twisty windy narrative story that kind of all the pieces interlock with each other 
I didn't really want to play it and then either have to come back to do like DLC that might feel rather stunted given how the game goes or just never come back to it. So I kind of decided, I think that I was just going to wait until there was at least some DLC had come out and like the, the kind of the future roadmap for the game was a bit more well known. So actually looking at my, my kind of history with it, I mean, I played it on the Xbox version on game pass so I can, you know, I can track like exact times and stuff through the times that I unlocked achievements. I started playing it almost exactly to the day a year after it first came out. So in August 2021, um, okay. and I remember spending quite a lot of time with it. That was that was a period that for me was quite tumultuous because I think at that point I decided that I was going to move and I'd started making um, like seriously not not even just plans like I'd probably actually started moving some of my stuff and putting some of my stuff into storage at that point and I kind of I remember just feeling I was having significantly little amount of time to sit in front of the tv and play stuff and I just wanted something that felt cozy and everything that I'd heard about the game you know aside from the I I don't want to call it morbid but maybe melancholy is a better word like subject material yeah. Like, you know, the themes of the game, everything apart from that, and to be fair, that's not that bad, but like everything beyond that just kind of sounded cozy and wholesome and easy to, to relax with. So I think from memory and from like looking at some of the metadata and stuff, I spent like a week, 10 days really kind of playing it quite a lot. And I remember getting a vast majority of the way through the game. Um, and then unfortunately, the kind of everything catches up with you. I moved. I struggled to, you know, I, I wanted to come back and spend another 30 hours sat there playing it, but everything was quite different in my life. And I didn't really, never really found that, you know, the time to just sort of sit there and relax with it again. And I think I messed about with it for a little while over the course of maybe the year beyond that. But I really sank back in, in August, 2022. And just <laughs> I, at that point, I was just like, okay, fine. I need this, this, you know, this like main gaming time to finish this game off. I mean, somewhat coincidentally, but probably also slightly spurred by, I think was the announcement that it was going to be removed from Game Pass at the end of August 2022. (laughs) So it's one of those ones where I look back at my achievements and I've got like everything in the course of about a week, then random scattered stuff where obviously had like a couple of days that I picked it up. And then there's just like the entire second half of the achievement list is all dated like 27th, 28th, 29th of August, just before it got it got removed from Game Pass. Um, so uh, that was the point where I guess everything was released by that point. It was all fully into the Farewell Edition DLC stuff. I sure. think they added, as you said, this this technically three extra bits of content, but it turns into four characters because two of them are tied together. And at that point, it was obvious that there wasn't going to be anything else going on, like anything else added to it. So I just thought, ah, this is a good time to just, you know, completely put this game to bed and and enjoy the end of it. So um, I have basically 100%ed the game. I think um, there are various achievements for, like, cooking all the different recipes and finishing the collection in the museum. Um. And I I completely went through all of those things. I absolutely just sunk myself into it. Yeah, that's that's that. And I've nice. I've messed about with it for a couple of hours today, just on the PlayStation version, just kind of remembering how some of the gameplay feels and the music feels. And yeah, I mean, I, ideally I should be finished with this game, but 
I kind of want to get a little bit further into it. I just just got um, at all onto the boat, so I'm, I'm literally like an hour into it. Um, sure. And I kind of don't really want to put it down for the moment. So, Well, thanks, John. Um, Rich, I know your experience is much different than that, so I figured I'd jump to you next uh, just to kind of juxtapose that. You you have only played this game recently and for the recording, correct? Um, no. So, not quite. So... Yeah. I picked it up on the 28th of August 2020, which is precisely one week and one day after it launched. Why? I have absolutely no idea. Um, I think it's probably <laughs> coming off the back of a fairly beefy June and July where you had uh, The Last of Us Part 2 and Ghost of Tsushima that came out. And I was like, I need to not be staring at like some of the most sort of profoundly beautiful graphics and like challenging content ever. What am I going to go to? Oh, this Spirit Fair game looks pretty good. Um, I put the first 10 hours in and then it immediately was like, oh no, this is one of those layers upon layers upon like onion-like games of complexity. I, I don't have this in in me at the moment. I know I'll spend two or three months playing Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, so um, <laughs> I'm not really sure what, what goes on in my um, my brain when, when this happens. But yeah, Spirit of Error. Um, I always wanted to come back to it when it kind of came up on the show. I was like, yeah, this is a great opportunity. But then it was sort of on my PS5 since the start of the year when we get the uh, when we get the, the show um, lineup. I think that the challenge is that there's like very much an optimal time to be playing a game like Spiritfarer before you do a recording because it is just, it's all back end. It's all kind of um, mechanically driven. And I was like, yeah, I've got to kind of time this right. Um, so for me, I, I played... I think it was about 40 hours. I'm at 98% completion. Um, and that was about a month ago. Why 98%? Because unlike John, um, I'm not a, a masochist and I'm absolutely disinterested in going <laughs> mining about like 30,000 bits of um, arbitrary ores and doing all the cooking and stuff like that. that that's absolutely no interest to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the, the thing I, I want to sort of say front and center about like my experience with the game is um, I do kind of wish that I hadn't went and read or watched that documentary that you put together today because I think it's vastly coloured my opinion on the game. But I'm trying to be <laughs> objective. Um, and I think for the listeners, if ever there was a, a listener who thought that I was the sociopath among the uh, Canaanites crew, this, this game is probably going to be the one that's going to give you the most validation against that opinion. So um, we'll get into it as we go through the show. Ah, uh, Very nice. All right. My, my subtle uh, ways to sway you, apparently, <laughs> just by offering that documentary. I apologize. Um so, Tom, um, I know that you and I had had uh, exchanged some Slack messages about this game when you started playing it. Um, was this year your first time playing through the game, or, or did you did you toy with it at launch first? No, so I, I, I'm not an Xbox Game Pass person. Um, mm -hmm. No, I first came across this through the soundtrack. Um, obviously, my work mostly these days is video game soundtrack, so I try and listen to everything good that bubbles up, and... It was an excellent podcast uh, interview. I believe it's Level with Emily is the podcast. Emily Reese was the interviewer. She's interviewed everybody, you know, composer-wise. And um, so I just got super into the soundtrack album, and that must have been near-ish whenever that came out, and really fell in love with that, like really fell in love with that, listened to it 10 times on the trot and just um, uh, super, super impressed. And then um, it fell kind of out of mind um it's a bit so i i use cane and rinse partly to kind of put games that are on my backlog but never 
get towards the top. So last year it was Subnautica. And um, this mm. year it was Spirit Fair of games that I probably would never have got to unless I had to play it, you know, to deadline for the show, um, which is why I kind of marked it on the sheet and, and was happy to see it, uh, see it on it. Um, I have a couple of caveats with my experience that's going to kind of colour my opinions. I have very mixed opinions on this game. I've just come off Persona 5 Royal which is 160 hours of beefy uh, RPG kind of managing people, uh, making things, juggling things and spinning plates and uh, a kind of social sim aspect to that. And I actually left this game to start Spirit Fair. I started it too late because I was trying to finish Persona 5 and I was really rushing in the last few days. I was playing it all on Switch grabbing bits of time with it you know cooking and i'm in the kitchen the the timer's about to go off for the oven in real life and i'm standing there trying to play some more spirit fair to pack it and i finished it yesterday with 27 hours but i didn't see all the characters um oh no kidding i didn't see stanley's end which i had to watch on uh youtube sadly and that one really got me that i think that would have been the most powerful one um and so yeah so i've had this sort of weird relationship i fell in love with the soundtrack first left it too late and had to rush and you know playing Zelda and then Zelda came out at the same time I've been playing that with the kids and that's I've got 65 hours in that so it for me it's been unfortunately squidged between two absolutely massive games Zelda and Persona 5 for me and unfortunately I think that's kind of colored my opinion and I was trying to rush through this game which is definitely like Subnautica really it's definitely not ideal to play that way um, one should try and play this as chill as possible and not race, not yeah. rush through it. And I did rush through it, and I'm sad about that. And it's gonna, I think, color my opinion. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you, um, and thanks for uh, putting in the time with it to finish it before the show. Um, I, I know it's tough sometimes when you're up there, you know, realizing that the window of time is closing uh, before recording. Um, as far as myself, I'll be very brief. Uh, this is my. Uh, suggestion uh my my recommendation for this volume of Kane and Rince um uh they so this game uh, was revealed at uh E3 in 2019 and then there was a Nintendo Indie World uh showcase and I I'm kind of a presentation pervert I love watching them when they're on and like I like talking about them as they happen I I, I like that stuff a lot it was on August 18th 2020 and it was a Nintendo Indie World and it was Spirit Fair and it had the wonderful and it's out right now after the trailer. I'm like, oh, great. So then I went to my <laughs> my Switch store and bought it immediately right on the Switch. And then when I fired up the Xbox later that day, there it was on Game Pass. And I'm like, <laughs> ah, well, you know, it worked. It worked. They're, they're, they're mar- that It was pretty good marketing. But um, so I played through it on the Switch um, pretty close to launch, probably over the course of a few weeks. Kind of kind of couldn't put it down. And then I went back to it a year later on um xbox played it through again there and then i did a third playthrough for um for this recording so i probably lifetime have something like between you know 75 and 100 hours uh with spirit fair over the course of the last few years so uh yeah my recommendation for the show so you can probably assume some of my opinions based on that but maybe not all of them but still um before we get into the meat of the game, let's uh, start with some correspondence from our Patreon. This is Kevin Mann, who said, Walking into the room to find my wife, Jay, in floods of tears playing this game will be forever etched in my mind. 
I'm sure the timing of the game, released in the middle of lockdown summer, played a huge part in both how the story affected her and how addicted she became to the game. While my experience consisted of dipped in and out of watching Jay play, I still managed to become connected to the characters and invested in their stories. Returning and catching a glimpse of a freshly empty house, having missed their farewell, often hit me hard, and I just I spent just fractions of time with them. I can't bring myself to actually play the game for myself, as the experience I had is a perfect memory I don't want to pollute. Mm. So let's... I think we'll kind of start by talking with the plot, the the overall kind of plot of the game, and then we'll we'll get into some of the mechanics first. Because once we get into characters, I have a feeling this is when the, where the conversation will kind of uh, take off, for lack of a better term. So um, this is according to Wikipedia. This is just the plot synopsis. The player takes the role of Stella, accompanied by her pet cat Daffodil, who takes over from the mythological Charon as the new spirit fairer, a fairy master who must sail the sea to find the spirits and grant their last wishes and finally take them to the Everdoor, a gateway to the afterlife. In order to assist with their journey, Charon gifts both Stella and Daffodil with the magical Everlight. After Charon himself passes through the Everdoor, Stella procures a ship of her own and begins traveling the world, picking up spirits and helping them fulfill their last wishes while befriending them along the way. Um, so before we get into the actual seafaring and what you're doing, um, I thought maybe we could start with how this game looks, um, and, and to kind of kick it off, I, I remember watching that Xbox E3 presentation and this didn't wow me in the way that say the cuphead reveal did in that like, wow, I can't believe what I'm watching, but this definitely is a game that when you started, when I personally saw it in motion for the first time, I kind of sat up and was like, wow, like, look, look at that. Like, this is, this is unique. This is, this has a definitive style it's going for. And then you kind of saw the animations and other stuff. And I found this game very attractive uh, right from the jump. And it was probably before I even knew what the game was about. It was probably the thing that drew me to the game first. Yeah. I think I was slightly struggling to describe the art style of this to somebody earlier who was asking me what I was talking about on the podcast today. I, I, I'm I've kind of fallen on. It's a bit like a, a kind of a pastelly, um, like almost like a paper crafty look to it. Um, mm-hmm. and then it was interesting to see on the um the documentary on the Escapist that there was talk from the artist about kind of following like a Japanese wood etching style kind sure, of look to yeah. it, which I hadn't really noticed until you start to think about how some of the backgrounds are a bit almost like dioramas, like there's bits where you sail. And you can see the islands in the background, but they're kind of, they are almost like a, like a painting on the, the background of the, the fork, uh, the forescape that you're in. But then you kind of pull into a harbor and suddenly it sort of pops up right into your view and everything kind of, I, I really struggle to describe exactly how, like how it looks, but, or like how that, that kind of feeling comes through when, it is almost like you sort of switch your focus from something like you're seeing something in the background and then suddenly you kind of like you close one eye and open the other one or something. And it's like suddenly it's in a different mm, position. Yeah. Um, but it's still like the colors and stuff to it are quite, um, I think pastel is probably like a sort of a soft pastel, but maybe not like the, you know, the really kind of chalky, chalky kind of pastel colors, but um, kind of following along that sort of color palette. And then I think, I mean, whether we're we're on the sort of animations at the moment as well, like, I really love all the kind of almost little idle animations that everything has. It's all like, everything just looks very, very cute. I love the way that Daffodil follows you around and like, plays with the, um, 
the little ever light in the same way that mm-hmm. you know sort yeah. of tosses it about like a ball of string or when you're swimming is like balancing on top of it kind of following behind you like all of the all of the little fairly i want to say like fairly small numbers of frames in some of these animations somehow still making it look very very smooth but everything has just got that got a real kind of style to it that you do see when they do these weird like Xbox indie showcase and they just blast through like 60 games or something and you see like three seconds of each one in a row and it is like this is constantly switching backwards and forwards like suddenly you see something that looks like Wolfenstein and then suddenly there's like a little line you know like a a sort of a line um, frame thing and then suddenly there's a game that looks like it's from like the Commodore 64 and it just sort of goes back and forth. And as you say, the, something like Cuphead that has a really, really distinct art, art style kind of sticks out. But I, I, weirdly, I can kind of imagine this also sticking out. But also this to me is almost like the definition of like an indie game. Like you see something that kind of looks like a little throwback, like 2D platformer style thing. If you're just watching like a, a sort of a little teaser trailer or something for it. Um but I think it's for for what it actually accomplishes for a world that it makes me want to stay in and all of the weird little touches. I think, you know, particularly the way that the Everlight kind of changes into various objects and kind of makes everything like feel so cohesive over a long period of time, even repeating the same things like you see that tree cutting down animation or like watering the plants in your field or like shearing your sheep. You're going to see those things hundreds of times. I always kind of felt, oh, that's cool. That little tree cutting animation is still really cool, even after 60 hours and probably 200 times of doing it. So there's something mm-hmm. something that really clicked with me for that reason. Yeah. I think like simplicity but beauty at the same time worked for me. Purely on a, a kind of graphic sense, it puts me in the mind of like a lucid dream. And I think it's probably just the use of color or the absence of very stark colors. So in that documentary, there's a, a very noticeable um, decision to avoid using like binary blacks and whites. And because of that, it it does feel very colorful and playful. Um, I think that's obviously an, an obvious conscious decision to make it feel a little bit more um, appropriate and accessible with a lowercase a um based around the subject matter that's there. I mean, to, just to see still image of, images of this game is actually quite delightful. Just all of the actual, mm. um, you know, the, sit, the the horizon, the um, the islands themselves, like the mise-en-scene, it's all very coherent, cohesive, and it just looks beautiful to see. On, on the animations, I mean, you know, a lot of the, the buzz about this game early on, I heard, was about, like, the hugging animations... And um, they are wonderful. Um, and, and like John says, a lot of the Everlight stuff is is very charming and, and lovely. Um, I do disagree hard that I, I still like the soaring animation after 200 times. I actually despised it by the end i really came to well, sucks to be wrong dislike no 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 of course <laughs> just opinion it's just opinions mate but um i i just it it was everything the game was really in love with its own animation and that's justified for like a first go through but then and i guess it's it's really unfair to this game coming off the back of persona 5 royal they're just and and royal is obviously a um you know uh, refinement of Persona 5 you know there's a lot of things in that game that are just to get you from place to place quick 
animations that just wrap up super quick to just get you to the next thing. Um, menus have lots of animation in them, but they are very, very fast. Whereas this game, I felt by the end, um, it's stuff like when you're planting the ore on the back of one of the turtle sisters, and there's just a few seconds before it lets you plant something new after you've chopped down whatever it is or, or broken it. And it's just it's all throughout the game, like the, the oven gloves coming out, all those animations started to really make me cross. And I feel bad because of that. I feel like that frustration is me, you know, not appreciating the size of the team and, and you know, the amount of work that did go into the animations. But I think I, in an ideal world, I would have just gradually tightened up those animations the more that you do them throughout the game. So they just get smaller and smaller and smaller so that it's just stuff pings quicker because you're doing so many repeat things in this game. You know, you're always ringing the bell, which is fast. You're going back up to bed to to kind of get the, the shit moving again. And I just found that, um, yeah, the animations got got quite frustrating to me. No, I think they're I think yeah. they're very fair points. Like it's it's not a it's not a fast paced game, but I think that's also whether or not that works for you, I think that is also sort of part of the charm of it. And it's very difficult to avoid as much as I don't really like the direct comparisons, but to avoid the thinking about it in the same way as uh, Animal Crossing, which full disclosure I have not played and probably will never play. But the way that that game clearly partly came out at exactly the right time and hit a point where people just wanted something kind of cosy, but also has that exact same frustration that people talk about. It's just kind of busy work. You just repeat the same things hundreds of times and it takes forever and you never, you sort of don't really feel like you're achieving what you're putting into it. Like, I feel like there is, there is a criticism that you could make against Spirit Fair if you are just the sort of person who most of us probably are, who just wants to be able to play as many games as possible. And, you know, you want to try and do 50 games in a year and, get through everything and experience all the stories and experience all the emotions and spirit fairer kind of pushes back against that and says hey you know you could just relax and just this game's going to take 30 hours to get you from start to finish and it probably could be shaved down to 20 if it wasn't quite so long in the tooth in various places but also to me that's kind of part of the charm of the game just telling you it doesn't need to be like super fast bang 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 you know uh story beat to story beat you can just mess about and you can just spend half an hour fishing and planting your crops and like maximizing you know the way that the buildings are on your boat and it's not necessary to do those things it's not what's going to make you get to the end of the story and kind of wrap it up so you can move on to the next game but at the same time it's kind of i think that is very much it is a kind of a vibe of relaxing playing this game and just not having to think about I desperately need to finish this so I can move on to the next thing. It's it feels like a sort of a thing that you will you will not play it in the same way that you might play a Minecraft or an Animal Crossing or a Terraria or something where you just spend five hundred hours doing it because you will get all of the content out of this game in much less than that amount of time. But I do feel that the slow paced kind of relaxing way of pushing through it is deliberate in that respect. I don't disagree that that you know the four hundredth time that you've done you know uh, whatever the activity is that the animations can can get a little long in the tooth there. Um, I found that the animations um, where they stood out more to me were in kind of the ongoing 
life of the boat and like life of the towns that you were in, like, mm. <laughs> where you just like you'd be having a conversation with Gustav about whatever hundredth task he's actually doing. You walk away and he starts swaying and playing the violin <laughs> with like a with like a grin on his face. Like it's those <clears throat> animations that really like pushed the game over for me and added that personality. But I I can see that you know the third time that you've done the you know, the bounce and seeing that twirl and twirl and twirl over and over again, that that might get long tooth. It did not get long in the tooth for me personally, but I could see that. For I mean, sure. the jumping sheep, um, I forgive it a lot for the jumping sheep. I had too hmm. many sheep on my boat. They keep eating my crops <laughs> and then they would just yeah. leap from story to story. Hilariously. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. Point of note, the way that they integrated animating the ever, is it the ever bright? Or the Everlight. 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 The Everlight, yeah. Everlight. In, in yep. a different kind of like functional tools was really cool. Like I never tried yeah, to yeah. see in that. It was really good. Especially the fishing one, you know, like you get the feeling that they're using all 60 of those frames to make it look as, as kind of like, you know, viscous and real as possible. So yeah. On them. Uh, one, one thing we didn't say when getting to start with the graphics and visuals is that the game is a 2D platformer um, that kind of, it doesn't even attempt to simulate 3D at all. You just kind of move into the background or kind of into the next scene that is right behind. Like when you're entering doors or entering rooms, you're not going into another place. You're just kind of the doors open and you, you can, they kind of peel back a layer off that initial visual style to, to let you know the lighting changes a little bit so you can see that you're in a house or you're in the garden or the orchard or what have you um, and with the, the doors and kind of your exits and entrance lighting up so you know know where you're supposed to go. Um, one of the things that I, I, I was going to discuss this during gameplay, but I think it makes more sense in the visual, is that you're exploring a sea that has a flat map that you pick out your tra- trajectory, but all of the boat movement is left to right mm. you know and no matter which way you're going on the sea it doesn't matter if you turn around you're still moving in the same direction um left to right did this 2d sailing exploration stuff did this did this work for you guys like because i what i what i felt I, I found it difficult sometimes it's not about gaining your bearings because you're using the map table to kind of set up set where you're going but did that traveling just kind of point to point line to line left to right did that what what I always felt about that, I guess I should share my opinion first, is that that clearly became to me just your your opportunity to do things on the ship. Mm. Did that? Did you get the sense that you were exploring a a full world in those moments, or did that take away from some of the the mystique of the <laughs> you know open sea sailing adventure? I, I think it's a really it impressed me more than anything. I thought it was a really mm. clever um, system of how they managed that. To, to keep you engaged with your boat while traveling somewhere and give the illusion of arriving in a place, the illusion of going past the the crazy onion shop man and the illusion of going past the annoying seal and stuff like that and stuff like coming past the boat. I thought that technically was just incredibly clever the way they did that. Um, and what, but, the, but, but juxtapose, a bit where it fell down for me was just how flat some of the towns and, and samey some of the towns and, and stuff and small to begin with um i didn't particularly find any of the actual environments that interesting um and and the map the, the actual kind of there's like a big island then there's a small island on the map and and without a list to be able to choose from or a kind of faster fast travel system again that everything outside of the boat all the locations places to go 
really felt underwhelming to me because um, it was difficult to find them on the map, remember where stuff actually was, and then search around for, like, is it a small island? Is it a big island? Ah, that's where it is. Um, and just the, the quote-unquote fast travel system, you know, again, totally spoiled by Persona, totally spoiled by Zelda playing at the same time. So it is unfair to judge this game against those, but those games do let you zip, you know, really fast. I actually found the the boat travel like brilliant, a, a really brilliant like use of actually like negotiating around this map. Um, it's um again like another feeling of like a lucid dream, you know, like orientation is not a concern. Mm. You're not really in that <laughs> mind of trying to work out exactly how to get somewhere. And um, sure, worth noting yeah. as well that it's a, a hang up. Um, according to the documentary that we've all watched, I'm sure of um the original concept, which was used uh, a train. Um, but apparently mm-hmm. they, yeah. they would struggle to kind of map out that in a, a track sense. And I'm just thankful that they didn't go there because the idea of having to wander around all the way around a track would have been infuriating. So this is a really good compromise and excellent <laughs> kind of use of uh, of the mechanic, in my opinion. And uh, if you if you do fast travel, you get to listen to that wonderful marching band music. Hey, I, I will um, stick up for that uh, in the next category. <laughs> so... So moving on to the music and the sound, as I, I kind of did that, um, this this soundtrack has has received a lot of attention in the in the months after its release, in the years after its release. Um, I found from that initial bell piece that plays as you're talking to Caron, it's kind of the Everdoor theme that plays each time you go back to the various themes for each region and the various character themes that I I fell in love with the soundtrack to the point where it's just, it's on that constant rotation of things that I'm listening to while I'm cooking dinner, while I'm, you know, doing things in the garden, things like that. Um, how, how does everybody feel about the music? I know Tom, you <laughs> said that, that you're a big fan of it and that kind of brought you to the game first. Yeah. Uh, John, was this, was this something that you, that drew you in when, when you were playing the game? Oh yeah. 100%. I think the, the way that the game starts is is very abrupt. You kind of just wake up on the the boat with um, with Karen, basically already at the Everdoor. But it's it kind of opens up, and every time you you even just load into the game, I think it was it was almost like is there a word for something that like triggers you, but it kind of it's not a negative thing. It kind of triggers you in a positive way, or like. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a better way of describing there it is, than that. There is, and there's a musical. There's, it's not a musical term, but it's a mu- There's a there's a term for music that does that. Too. I think it's frisson. Um, okay. Music that that gives you a, like a, something up the back of your neck or something in a good mm. way. Yeah, like, I will totally claim that that is what's going on here. Like I felt every time I loaded into the game and reached that menu screen, and it just started playing that little slow kind of. I guess just that spirit fairer theme that then gets kind of twisted into lots of the other pieces, but just that, that kind of bell music, that kind of almost like, um, you could almost achieve this, like, you know, playing glasses with various uh, levels of water and stuff in them like that. And a a triangle or something. Mm, It's, it's Mm, very much that kind of (sighs) the way that you talk about the, um, the, hair on the back of your neck standing up or like fingers on the back of your neck that's almost what it feels like it feels like that that kind of like almost slightly um almost what's the a good way to describe it that's not just going to be lewd um it's it's kind of like yeah it's it's kind of like being stroked or something or like being you know being like very lightly fondled or something like that it's got (laughs) it's got that kind of i don't know just that 
sort yeah, of frisson frisson honestly yeah. that's the word that does it okay we'll we'll stick with that um i'm never going to remember that word um <laughs> but yeah like the <laughs> I, i've almost forgotten because it's been nine months or more since i've played this but immediately sort of loading up the game today and hearing that menu music again it just kind of like reawakened all of the other pieces in my head like the storm piece when you're kind of trying to catch the the jellyfish that come yeah. flying through and like um at all like dancing around in the rain playing his flute and stuff there's so many little pieces of music in here that are so deeply ingrained in my head just from the amount of time that i've spent messing about on this boat and like it's it, people talk about things like the battle music in jrpgs like worming their way into their heads and never coming back out because i guess you just hear that piece starting from you know, the first note or the first bar, like over and over, possibly thousands of times while you're playing through some of those games. Um, and some of the smaller bits of music kind of had that same feeling for me, like the waking up in the morning, like the, um, I'm not even waking up because I barely ever slept while I was doing this. I was too busy tending crops or doing something else instead, like fishing instead of sleeping. But the, the kind of the, the little dawn chorus kind of twinkling music that comes in and then you go and like, run down and ring the bell on the boat like it all mm. it all got so familiar that it was almost just like a reflex and loading up today i just sort of had exactly the same thing it was like i heard two notes of music and thought right i need to run over to the bell and ring the bell now or like you hear the oven timer ding and it's like okay time to stop and just run over like the way that <laughs> the music the response yeah basically yeah, that, yeah to yeah. And sound that's effects why the bus and stop music. music is brilliant mm. that's why that because it's annoying and it's silly but you know you've reached the bus stop. Yeah. Because if you're going to the bus stop, it's because you want to go somewhere else fast. Yeah. You want to dip back to Albert's shipyard. You mm -hmm. want to dip back to the turtles with the stuff on their back. Yeah. Um, you're in a hurry. And so it, it just, it, it doesn't, you can be anywhere in the boat and that mm. you cannot mistake that music for anything mm -hmm. else. And that it serves such a brilliant purpose. Mm. Um, and the same with the onion guy as well. The, um, the guy yes, who you run the yeah. errands for, you get near him and it starts playing that kind of, wavy Shonk, kind of hippie shonky, music yeah like yeah home, homemade like instruments sitarish yeah. type yeah. of yeah um, I, yeah you're just sorry. sailing and if you're you just happen to go past him while you're in the middle of one place to another i'd like hear the, his music start and think oh crap you know i'm in the middle of smelting stuff but actually i better get out of here and quickly run down and just see if he's got any errands while i'm passing and then you get back on your boat and it just keeps moving on and you hear the music fade out like it's all to me it all just fit the tone and the purpose of what it needed to do like mm. absolutely to the t and hence i still remember it and still hum it and will think yeah. about it probably the, forever the main theme for me is so strong i believe it's in just c major which is the, the you know the most milk toast key and the first three notes of the main theme are just da 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 they're the simple like one two three the simplest notes you could you could teach a three-year-old um, but the way the theme goes from there is so beautiful and memorable. And over 27 hours, I always looked forward to that that theme coming back during the sort of daytime on the boat um, music. And that's that's super strong, especially coming off again. I keep saying it. Persona 5 Royal, you know, that game has killer music. You hear a gazillion, bazillion, squillion times over and over again, and it gets stuck in your head. Um, and I'd already fallen in love with the Spirit Fairer soundtrack, but to hear it in context, I think it worked really well. Um, to some degree, I think it, it's sort of so lush and classical and well mixed 
and well uh, implemented in the game, I actually think it flatters the game a little bit. I actually think the score is one of the higher points of quality of the whole production, and I think it makes oh, it, yeah. Yeah, it makes got, it sound. It makes it. Rich disagrees, which is great. Um, it makes it sound a bit more cinematic and um, you know bigger budget than than the game actually is when you hmm. really okay. when you really get down to brass tacks about like how big the team was, how long they spent on it, and and you know. So I don't, you know, I don't want to say that the the, the music is better than the game because it, it is worked so well into the game and supports the game so well that it's a fantastic marriage. But the the soundtrack does, yeah, I've I've said it basically. So if I can springboard off this because this is a nice seg, um, the music in isolation extremely good puts me in mind of Daniel Sadovsky's um, "A Boy and His Blob" soundtrack, which is a personal favorite of mine. Mm. So. Like I take no joy in saying this, and I'm prepared for um to be lambasted for for my opinion on this. <laughs> I actually found the music to be quite manipulative because I found that the quality of the music exceeded the actual effect of the game for me. So you know when you're going through to the um to allow somebody to pass over, I felt that the very deliberate use of crescendo sort of put me in a mind of emotion that the game actually didn't. And I just felt like I was being manipulated by, like the, like I say, the quality of the music in in a way that actually wasn't composite with the, with the gameplay itself. Um, and I, I swear I've tried not to feel that way and to like allow myself to be a bit more receptive to what it is that's being put down there. But at, at every point, I thought to myself like, oh, like I, I'm I'm not like I'm sensing the sense of grief and and um, elation that these characters are, but actually, you know, it, it's not something that I'm actually empathizing with. So my counterpoint to that would be, and I and I'm I'm in no position to disagree because you're I, wrong. I, Rich. I, I had a different experience than that. No, I, I had a different experience, but my my experience mirrors Rich to the sense that there were characters that I did not have that connection with, so the music didn't land as even though it's the exact same music didn't land in the same way for the characters that I didn't feel as much of an emotional connection with. So that I completely see, but there are games that use music to the exact same effect that also deal with death. The one that springs to mind immediately is shadow of the Colossus mm. um, with that uses music to wonderful effect when, um, when destroying the statues of the Colossi in um, in that chamber. And also in, in those fights that as the fights turn from thrilled action to kind of, like grotesque, mm. what am I doing states, uh, spoilers for shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> um, but, but those musical themes are used in the same way. And I felt that the way that you describe rich, I felt in other games yeah. where I felt like this game is trying to get me to a place that I am not at. And, and, um, you know, now, obviously those games are very different games, but I, but I, I can, I can empathize with that point of view. I, I did not feel sure. that here, but I have definitely felt that in other games for and, sure. And like, I'm not immune to this, you know, like one of the most storied, well-represented instances of this happened in 1997 with Earthseam in Final Fantasy VII. I guess spoilers mm. for Final mm. Fantasy VII, you know, that is, <laughs> you know, like that, that is something that I can, um, I can feel, uh, and and can you know I'm I'm aware of what's going on and also I'm bought into it. I just found and we'll we'll talk about like story and and characters and actually like maturing those feelings and and the the tone of Spiritfarer and you know the metaphors behind it. I did find that it, there's just a, a real kind of dissonance between the 
it's not the quality of the music, but it's the emote, how the music emotes and sort of elicits an emotional response out of me when compared to the gameplay that had preceded it. But let's talk more about the gameplay, what you're actually doing from moment to moment. Uh, we'll start out with Gerard from our forum who said, After Snipperclips, Stardew Valley, and Chicory, this is the fourth video game my partner and I played together, and as it were, the fourth video game she'd ever played. The most gentle interactions with the world, its systems, and its denizens provided a compelling and engaging experience for us to move through together. My partner lives with chronic illness and spends a fair time receiving medical care and lost a younger sibling a few years ago. So several elements of the backstory resonated and largely hit truthfully rather than feeling maudlin or cloying. One seriously rough patch was the platforming, which drove my partner mad as she had never played a platformer before and the demands of some of the more heinous challenges were quite frustrating for her. I was genuinely surprised this otherwise gentle game hadn't implemented a new Super Mario style bubble system where she could just float up to, um, where she could just float up to me once I'd cleared whatever series of arcane zip lines and flips needed to well, budget and programming time, isn't it? I've... I'm yeah. guessing um, for the gameplay. The, my one complaint about this game that I clearly am fond of is that there is a whole lot of game in this mm. game. And I feel like the game could have been maybe better served by focusing a little bit more on a couple areas, maybe not adding a, adding a couple things, whether it's a, a few less resources or a few less buildings that you're managing to create your, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. that's a really interesting bit. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised you say that, Brian, because I thought you would be more of a sort of defender on that. But it ex- takes the words right out of my, ha- my mouth. It's just like, you know, 10 fewer meals, two fewer types of stuff, stuff to do buildings, two fewer events. I think just uh, the way I played it was super fast. That's not the ideal way to play it. But there is still too much mandatory game here for me to have reached the credits hmm. and, okay. and a lot of it could have been shifted to post game for the diehards and the sickos for this game and and i i would have had a much better time honestly and i i evolved into one of those sickos i, don't <laughs> use, I mean i played it through three times i eventually i eventually found and john had already mentioned this a couple of times i found that like that when I got to the part where I could slow down and try, not try to be min maxing everything in like mm, this, 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 mm. this, like, um, cause I love games like that. I, Tom, you and I were on the Subnautica show. John, yes. I, oh, you yeah, yeah. That was my pick were, for yeah. the year. I love. Yeah, oh yeah. Game. Like I love that moment. Well, I got to go back down here. And I need five of this and seven of that. And yeah. you know, I do like that. And uh, I eventually got to a point in this game where I was able to set that, set that behind and find the fun in there. Mm. Um, and f- maybe find fun in the monotony, which is something that Rich and I have talked about a yeah. lot uh, over the course of the years, finding fun in kind of the... Do, do you know what it is, though, um, Brian? Like, and, and maybe I've misunderstood what you said. I, I actually, you know, for me, a, a game that comes to mind when I think about the actual mechanics and the kind of growth element of Spiritfarer is No Man's Sky. Um, and that is a game that mm-hmm. enjoys, and I say the word enjoys when actually I mean the opposite, um, has way more like tiered technical upgrades than what Spiritfarer has. I was expecting maybe like layers and layers of complexity in terms of building really complicated, really nuanced things that Spiritfarer never got to. So mm. I was absolutely delighted that it like basically the top tier of something is only maybe oh, okay. like one yeah. or two kind of raw materials deep, which is a, a huge relief because that is the that that's a killer for me. It's a real barrier in terms of like yeah. just spinning sure. plates. Yeah. That that's not fun. That is like a day at work to me. Yeah, I mean the the and I I had to rush play Subnautica last year for the show. I did actually go back 
and complete subnautica afterwards which is something i almost never do but like six months later i was just like i felt compelled it was like an obsession because they patched the ps5 they put all these quality of life stuff in and i feel like there's a quality of life pass on this game still to be done uh is is my genuine feeling about it that's just my personal opinion um and uh the the biggest problem I had, um, and I agree, that's a very good point, actually, Rich, that, that it doesn't get too technical on the, like, getting to the final things. But the particularly the ship upgrades, like the icebreaker, the rock breaker and the mist light are gated so deep into the game with resources that you can mm. only unlock when you get certain characters. Now, of course, people can discover characters at different speeds. So maybe I just got really unlucky um with who like stanley you know coming super late for me i didn't even finish um and he does the the bottled ectoplasm or whatever i just felt the game was so but i was rushing through it so it's kind of my fault but i felt the game was so stingy and the gating of certain resources like your gold your silver going back you know the different trees ash and whatever was just too much it was too um it felt too distant to me that oh right okay it's gonna be another 10 hours until i can get through this rock line or whatever because i've got to do this and i'm going to do that I've got to get a character and to me the, the the sad thing about the way i was playing is that that really undermined focusing on these characters and learning more about them spending time with them and then seeing them off to the other door there's there's two games here and honestly i could have played just a game about the characters and maybe making them some meals and do it and, and, but not but not chopping down trees and, st- and mining and stuff i don't know the but story here could work so well just as a maybe not quite as simplistic as a visual novel but you know maybe more like a, a sort of an everybody's gone to the rapture style kind of Disco- like yeah less, yeah less gameplay less less sort of mini games and more just kind of taking it in and i think you're right like there is an element where it does feel like they pad some of that and they do kind of put a lot of it behind locked doors that you realize oh I, i'm gonna have to get to that area to do that and I can't get the biggest ship because I haven't got that. But the, to do that, I'm going to need to set another spirit free. But I can't set them free because I can't build their house yet because I haven't done that. And yeah. it's, it also does a thing where I think... I'm not sure if the game explicitly... Like, it's very obvious. It, like, points it out. But I think you can't have more than two or three people on your ship at the same time. Like, maybe three different characters. So there are points, I feel like, where you're possibly waiting to clear somebody else before you can go and then get mm. the next person onto your boat. And So there's definitely at least one aspect of that, as I know it will not allow you to fish Stanley out of the ocean on, until a certain amount of characters have passed through yes. the Emperor. So I like that. I'm not sure if there's like a, like a hard and fast rule of three or four or whatever it is, but it definitely goes. Well, that's that likely to be because of characters have Stanley's on. event is the ectoplasm. The bottled yeah, ectoplasm, yeah. which mm-hmm. is like a high tier um, resource, so I, I suppose that's just tied in with uh, with that. Um, I, I don't want to push us along too much, but like I think there's an interesting like in in as part of that conversation. Uh, and and firstly, before I do, I just want to say for me, the actual platforming, the most fun part of the game. There's a really strong hmm. platforming. Uh, like build a game around that and i'd happily play it i think that'd be absolutely fine. so i was gonna say this rich i'm glad you brought it up so i didn't have to comp- chime in later with being the guy who was going to be positive about that i could do that double jump into the glide into oh, a zip yeah. line into like i love yeah. the way stella feels really in nice every bit really, of really nice yeah. yeah but 
what I want to just sort of touch on is something that Tom brought up, which is there is a QL, there's a quality of life kind of pass of this that could make it more svelte and more um, lean, let's say. But actually, I also think there's another take on this, which is there is a way to use the downtime more effectively to elicit emotion than what this game had as well. So like a great example was um, Alice the Hedgehog. There's a point in the game where you are required to chaperone her to the front of the ship, back to her house, to the front of the ship, to the back of her house. And at the time, I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm going to dash my controller off the floor at this point because this is now the, the kind of gate that I need to pass through in order to go through. And in hindsight, I think to myself, well, actually, you know, what that did is very mechanically forced us to confront mobility issues and and elderly people and and all of that sort of stuff. That is the only instance in the game, as far as I'm concerned, where it actually married like mechanics and um, storytelling in a way that that mattered. So in terms of gameplay, connecting... There's other ones. They're subtle. Like Beverly, um, who was a DLC character, she's she's the one that really got me. Uh, uh, everyone cries at at least one of these endings I reckon and it's because I was playing it in front of my kid fortunately I wasn't doing the the one with the bull the the bird that keeps swearing saying saying the S word all the time but um, uh, Beverly you build her house and you build it wrong and then you build her proper house and she says oh thank you and then she four or five times for me um, because of her dementia she kept asking me to come back and say um, oh can you build me a house and she's standing right next to it. And then she said, oh, you've already built it. And that really, really worked for me. And I, I swear there was a couple of things with with Stanley with that. I think some characters were better for that than others. For sure. And like, like mm-hmm. Atoll just disappears. Yeah. Um, now I, I think, think we'll could, probably get yeah. into characters as we go through because I've got but, so yeah, many just, thoughts. Yeah, but... Just in terms of gameplay, though, you're expecting Atoll's you know, thing to progress the way the other, others have and you have to take him to the Everdoor. And he just suddenly disappears and you're like, oh, did i do it did i win did he commit suicide what what was <laughs> going yeah are, are you winning son yeah, exactly. yeah. so that was uh, and that hit people somehow i've seen blogs about that particular character as well but we'll get to the character i'm sorry to take it too far away from gameplay but i just in terms of game, gameplay linked to story moment or, or character moments um so just a little bit more about the the things you're doing on the boat uh we've already talked about a number of these we don't have to go to them in great detail um, tons of crafting, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, kind of starting out with the sawmill, um, and the kitchen, and then it goes into gardens and orchards and fields and forge and looms and everything. Uh, and else. the worst one being Each the windmill, these... in my no, opinion. Oh, the orchards. Yeah. Oh, the, the orchards, because yeah. you, you can't dig up trees. You have to completely blow up the whole Yeah, orchard. you have to scrap yeah. your orchard and then rebuild yeah, it. Yeah. Um, there's... So each one of these, save for the, I mean, I guess technically the the growing of vegetables does have a mini game because you can play music for your plants to make them grow quicker. But each one of these comes with a very, very limited and very, very mundane mini game um, following the path on a log as you're cutting it. Or um, the the one for me that I just that just I could never get over was the crusher <laughs> where you just have to crush like a certain amount of times, like bang, bang, bang. And, like that one just it was just I was expecting something else. Oh, I the guess. smithy. Um, we're trying um, to get the timing on the smithy hammer and just yep, oh, to get the, get the bellows so up. Um, <laughs> uh, and then these are all, you're basically taking things that you've harvested or that you've grown or that you've mined from rocks or cut down trees, making them in other materials. And you're making, getting these raw materials in order to either upgrade your boat or to build houses or new crafting areas or upgrades for the houses for your passengers. Kind of all of these things are done in service of, of, 
making your passengers happy in one way or another. Mm. But in as part of this too, you can fish, as we already talked about, at the back of the boat. And then um, there's also um, on each island that you go to, you can this the aforementioned platforming. You can kind of as your abilities upgrade, you can get to higher locations, find some chests with rare resources, and and kind of maybe. You can actually get some resources ahead of time if you get to these chests. Mm. Like I, I, I found my first gold nuggets not from a rock, but from a chest that I had found my way to in the top. Oh, wow. Things like that. So, John, we've the three of us have kind of talked about some of the monotony here and uh, mm. the tasks that you do on on the boat. And I think you and I align a little bit more. It took me a while to get there. Uh, certainly for my second and third playthroughs, I was there for most of the game. Um, but all these busy work tasks, like. Um, they, they spoke about it a bit in the documentary that we've, we've mentioned before, but mm. does d- the checking off those lists, those completing of the task, like, were you able to, it sounds like you were able to settle into that relaxing mindset of just kind of doing things at your own pace and, and filling the requests is how did you find the fun there? Or was it not finding the fun? Was it more of a kind of Zen type of experience? Uh, well, I think for me, I'm probably someone who plays games and does or not even just plays games, like just in general life things. I do tend to quite like having lists and sort of, you know, a, a number of chores that I have to do and I have to make sure that everything is kind of done. And I do very much like the the kind of the min-maxing of things. And what it what it eventually leads to is just me ending up with far, far more resources than necessary. <laughs> but I will do things <laughs> sure. like... I will not be able to go past one of the turtles without going and planting some things on its back and then coming back later once they're finished, even though I will end up completing the game with with loads of ore and wooden stuff that I've never used. But it's hard for me to kind of look at something and say that's that's kind of an opportunity here that's being wasted. And as such, I didn't really ever sleep at night after the first few days when I had things that I knew that I could do. Mm, I could always yeah. be fishing or planting crops or picking things or shearing sheep and and invariably it would be every single night that came it would end up being the case that I would at least be doing stuff for like three quarters of it before then finally I would go to bed and and just use that last I don't know how long the night is on here probably like six minutes or something Mm. in real time it's not like long so I'd I'd make as much use as possible and then kind of skip the last little bit Um, but it, it very much felt to me like I have that kind of compulsion in my head of if there's something that can be done and like a number that can go up, then I should be aiming to achieve that. And it it worked in a lot of ways for me. I did find that it was great fun just kind of looking about the boat and seeing like, oh, that person is hungry, that sheep needs to be sheared, you know, that those crops are ready to be picked or ready to be watered or something. And you end up with such a massive amount of stuff on that boat that there are always things that you can do. Mm. Like there's no there's no use in having linen in your inventory you've got to go and actually weave it to to do anything sure there's no point in having or or at least very little point there may have been certain places that you use it to spend on upgrade materials or... can i ask a quick question at that point mm, did anybody sure. like me uh refine all the linen into cloth only to realize that you needed linen thread uh and have a start <laughs> right from twice, the beginning yeah. yep yeah, plenty of times. Uh, I've and got a story about of... that for the end. Uh, something very dumb I did in my last yeah. playthrough that, that <laughs> set me back about five hours. But yes. Oh, no. I've said before at the beginning of the show, like one of the things that I heard about the game that slightly put me off but also ended up drawing me in was the fact that it is a reasonably long game to just get through the story mm. because it does put all of these things in here. Like 
you may hate the the ore crushing, but you are absolutely going to have to do some of it. You may hate sure. a lot of the mini games, but you are have to do quite a lot of mm. all of them. Mm. Well, one of the things through. I noticed <laughs> too is that um, it's it's a great way as you're approaching those end of the boat upgrades that you're buying from Albert. Um, you need quite a bit of money and a lot of way you do that. If you have a lot of resources, but doing what you've been doing, John, you refine those resources a couple times. Like, like you can, I'm not sure you guys know this, but the, you know, sunflower oil goes for 200 glims a bottle. So mm. I mean, Cup you of could tea, just farm some, farm some sunflower and an onion. seeds and you are just rolling in it. So <laughs> an yeah. onion is yeah. 1200. A single onion is 1200. It doesn't make yeah, any, you probably shouldn't ever buy them. No, no, you, you grow them and then you, you, no, you grow them and you sell them for 1200 Easy money and cups of tea. I, I literally farmed cups of tea and onions for a long portion of this game. Yeah. <laughs> There's so, no explanation as to why those are so, I'm, like, go for so much cash either. I thought that was quite nice. There's a bit of chat at the beginning when you're with um, Gwen, the first character you meet, and she wants you to go to the town and meet the raccoon guy because I think the idea is you're supposed to go and buy some seeds yeah. to, um, you know, to basically plant out the field, and it's it's like her quest to do that. Like she's basically the tutorial showing you how the rest of the building and everything mechanics work. Um, and there's a point where she takes you to the raccoon guy, and all of the stuff he's selling is like literally a hundred times what it should yeah. cost when you first yeah. meet him. And she really scolds him and has like a real like goes on a tirade about how you know what a horrible little like opportunistic it's, trash panda he is and it, like really lays into him. It's my favorite and, quote of dialogue from the game: "Or uh, people like you are the reason we invented middle fingers." Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, and I, I feel like that is you know, there's this kind of weird line there where he gets then shamed into lowering all of his prices literally by like ninety nine percent. Um, but I feel like you can still sell things for the prices which might have been closer to what he would have originally been <laughs> been talking about. So maybe that's kind of where this weird dissonance comes in, like selling stuff that costs you absolutely nothing to make for huge amounts of money. I mean, it's difficult to earn twelve hundred glims. Otherwise, it takes a lot of um, yeah. a lot of times through that mini game uh, with the jellyfish to earn those. So. Before we get too deep into that, as we talked about the game and how much game there is, um, there's a few things we didn't mention. There's a, a museum where you can complete collections in order to get rare items and treasure maps and some outfits for Stella. We didn't talk about that, how you can use Alice's wardrobe to change your outfit. There's a lot of game in there, um, and we've talked about most of it in, in some aspects, some fashion so far. But why why are we doing this? Because... <clears throat> Basically, you're trying to create and make the characters that are on your boat, your spirits that you're taking across through the Everdoor. You're trying to make them happy to finish their, to wrap up their last bit of business, to to make them content before they they finally go through the Everdoor. So um, let's move on to talking about these characters. Well, can can this- we just talk about the conceit for a minute? Because I think, like, obviously we're going to touch on the nuance of the characters. So, so here's... Here's where I'm probably going to make some enemies. Um, I personally find the concept of... Um, okay, he- here we go. So it wasn't until very recently, in fact, af- after completing the game, that I drew the connection with the fact that um, Stella, in reality, because it's all metaphorical, is a palliative care nurse. And it's her job to basically uh, support people in the end of life, um, presumably medically and uh, emotionally, um, what Spiritfarer kind of trades in um, is 
you're there to basically help them finish through their business. And I actually find that to be quite upsetting because I think that that's quite a a miserable take on death and obviously um, like end of life care and such like the idea of that you are serve out somebody just by virtue of the fact that they're about to pass away and you need to go and solve the relationship in the, the case of Astrid and Giovanni. I think that's quite a, like, and this directly contradicts the narrative that's put through in the um, uh, the documentary that you shared, Brian, which makes me feel very upset, actually, for having to raise it, because I, I get the sense that it almost um, confronts the developers of what they've done. But I just think it's quite um, up- upsetting, it probably is the word that I'm going to go for. That's probably quite a, a strong word, but unrealistic and um, facile, maybe a better word for, for what we're putting together there. It's it's fuzzy, isn't it? Because it it turns out to be all a kind of deathbed dream in Stella's mind, like a like a coma dream or something, like a really vivid coma dream is the read I got from it. So that all of this, the whole construct, the boat, everything is is in her mind as she's passing on, and that characters that see each other and meet, like um, like Astrid and Giovanni did one of them had already died by the time the other got to I, I can't quite remember how that all fits together it and the and the problem i had is when you start the game and you're talking to people they all talk to you as if they have a his, history with you and like they know you and that is sweet and meaningful by the time you get to the end of the game but it's confusing on a first playthrough because you're like do, am i supposed to is stella a real person or is she a mythical person or is she in the real world how do these people know her but it wasn't in a kind of oh i'm really interested to find out it was a kind of did i miss something did i just completely miss something should am i supposed to know that atul was was her uncle or is it just assumed knowledge or even to the point that i would say where i found myself asking the question like is this is this just a you know a, a component of a like cozy game are you are you supposed to allow this kind of like ambiguity to wash over you and and overcome you very slowly over the course of the time it's just a a conceit that i I think is a little bit um oh i should have thought this through so this is probably a little bit of a super consciousness but like i'm not sure it's fair like really is it is it fair to say to somebody look you know when they're end of life your sole responsibility if you care about them is to basically give them everything that they need in not doing that, are you being unreasonable? Are you being a good spouse, um, son, daughter, um, father, whatever the case may be? Like, I, I found it to be a really um, one-dimensional take on death in, in such a way that actually rubbed me up the wrong way. Um, I do have a history of um, death in, in my family. Obviously, I've got a relationship with, with death, um, too. And the... Uh, you know, what it did is force me to confront the relationships that I had, in particular with my mother, who passed away 10 years ago, and thought to myself, like, oh, well, I've got all this unfinished business. I absolutely should have taken care of it before she passed away. Oh, I'm a terrible human being. Mm. So not to, and obviously I'm not speaking about your personal situation, um, Rich, but when it comes to the game, I think it's, so two things. I think it's one, it's not that you or I or John or Tom or anybody else play this game is responsible for handling the end of life business is specifically that Stella is as that palliative care nurse. I think she finds herself like she's responsible. This is the way that I interpreted it. 
um, mm. that not you or I, but her as the character is, or it feels responsible for doing these things. Mm. And, and, and I, you see this a lot. And, and the only reason, the only time I noticed it was on my third playthrough. Do you see this a lot in the quest descriptions that she has? Cause it's her thoughts about the quest. Um, when you're taking Giovanni to the Everdoor, the quest description is, well, Giovanni needs a ride. I really don't want to do it, but I guess I have to. Like, that's her thought on taking Giovanni mm, to go yeah. through the Everdoor. Um, and I, so I viewed it from that that point of view. Now, I'm not saying that I'm right. That's just the way that, that, that I viewed it. And for for me, as far as the 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 doing tasks and the the mundanity of it all um, with the end of life, I found and this again, just my take that this game was treating the end of life like it was just another humdrum part of life, which I found to be quite like relieving mm. in a sense that it, that like death isn't, I mean, death is certainly a big deal. We, we, we I mean, almost every piece of media is about love or death. Right. But like, but in the grand scheme of existential life and the meaning of life, death, just being that part of it, just a, another step in the process. And I feel the game treats it like that less than it treats it like this gigantic earth shattering thing. Yeah. Um, and I appreciated that, but I also completely see how you would get, get that point of view as far as um, whether or not it's, it's your responsibility or my responsibility to, to, to satisfy somebody's needs just because they're going through the end of life. I took that more as Stella felt that she had to do that, and I I related uh, that to her. Actually, job. yeah, I think that's that's a good shout. I think like, just to put a bit of meat on the bone before I, I yield kind of to uh, Tom and John on this, um, the game begins. The first scene is a scene with Charon, who obviously from Greek mythology is the ferryman that takes somebody from the life to death. I think. The implication as a re result of that, without any of the context that's driven out through the game, is that you are basically just there as the ferryman. Your job is to transport them. And then obviously as time kind of goes on, you find that what you're actually doing is you're facilitating their death by allowing them to have closure on certain activities. My my key criticism of, of this game, right, and, and I'm aware that I'm probably the minority here, is that I find it very hard to um, uh, allow myself to become emotional and emotionally attached to something when I'm frustrated by the monotonous activities that other people are asking us <laughs> to do and the monotonous gameplay. Like I'm not in a mind of wanting to sympathize and empathize when I'm generally quite frustrated with characters being exploitative, characters that otherwise could do things for themselves, um, asking me to do these things. It's, it's, a, it's an awkward blend of gameplay and um, narrative and intent that I don't think Spirit Fair quite lands. However... Mm. The overwhelming evidence to the contrary suggests that a lot of other people are actually connecting the dots in a way that I'm not. So I would quite happily say, you know, that, that this is working for the people in a way that it didn't for myself. Very, very quickly, I, Rich and I are relatively on the same page. I don't have as deep a di uh, experience with death, so I, I can't. And I'm only a day off finishing the game and it might take me another year to stew on it and, and get to, to whichever place I'm going to get to in the end. But um it's funny because literally i was i was slacking rich a lot out of just sheer frustration with the 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 gating uh, you know resource gating and stuff during this game and some of the quality of life stuff that i'd been treated to in other games let's say and and was sort of sorely missing here but actually 
Stella as a character, as a palliative nurse, would be doing mundane, everyday, repetitive things to care for people who were, you know, potentially rude or surly or lazy or um, kind or, you know, had terrible memories or whatever. So actually, I am now reflecting, I didn't hold this opinion before this discussion, which is why these discussions are so wonderful. I'm now reflecting actually that that is in character for Stella. But I, the problem I have with the game story is that I did not know Stella was a palliative care nurse for most of the game. Quite. Um, yeah. And mm. and I yeah. don't think the heel, t- the twist at the end works backwards, mm. honestly, uh, in, in all honesty. No, yeah. John, what what's your what are your thoughts on that? I I'm I'm really interested in that because uh of what you just said, Tom, piggybacking off of Rich's because a lot of that um Stella's story and the palliative care story, you're treated to some of that, but most of that was not in there the first time I played through the game. It was added with the DLC with the sister mm-hmm. Lily. And a lot of that gets fleshed out in those last four quests of the game where you're re- revisiting each shrine and you're getting a ton of Stella's backstory. None of that was there when I first played through the game. So I, I'm struggling to separate those two experiences. So mm. uh, what, what are your thoughts, John? Yeah, I, I feel like I kind of go both ways on this one. Um, I understand the frustration that Rich is talking about. I understand the 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 slightly kind of cold way that the game puts a lot of this through. And I think that there is there is an argument that could be made for what you were saying about like the mundane life stuff still goes on while people are dying. Like you don't just stop needing to be fed or needing to be washed or needing entertainment. Even if you know that you're, you're going to pass away in a week, like all of those things still happen. It's not just this sort of magical Mm -hmm. event where you can just kind of, you sort of give up and, you know, sort of burst into, into a consolation in the sky, which is kind of how this game does actually present the actual act of passing um but it's i feel like yeah i i did play this and i did end up with some of those new um new dlc characters like beverly and and lily on the boat while the other characters were there and it it kind of felt like the pieces clicked into place better than they had because i i started it the year before and i think that some of those things had been talked about and maybe the the early parts of the game had been improved a little bit but it also took took me a long time to realize exactly what the game was getting at. Like the story is sure. very, um, sort of very subtle in the way that it's told. And even so, like you know, when you start a game and you're just immediately being talked to by um, by Karen or Sharon, or however you want to pronounce the name, Karen, <laughs> um, pick take your pick. Uh, and and it, it, that kind of lasts for about three minutes, and then it vanishes, and then you've got dozens of hours of kind of all sorts of other stuff that you just sort of forget a little bit, I think in that time, Uh, you know, the, a little bit more of the depth of that conversation. And especially to the point where I played probably 12 to 15 hours of this and then put it aside for an hour and uh, sorry, a year and then came back and there was extra content added. And I don't know if anything else had happened in the meantime, if they'd changed sort of text wording and stuff in things, if they changed other characters dialogue that, was then different the next time around. But I agree that it would have made more kind of sense and felt more meaningful if it had have been more clearly um, spelled out exactly what was going on. I mean, it's even to the point where 
I know that the game is sort of metaphorical, but without realizing, I mean, although it's the obvious, you know, most obvious twist in the world beyond the person had amnesia and actually they were the villain all along or something. The idea that, oh, it's kind of a coma dream or a deathbed dream or something we like call, that. We call that turn the Knights of the Old Republic. <laughs> oh, God, I'm sure it was around for a long time before Knights of the I'm Old sure Republic. I'm sure it was too. Um, but yeah, it's like the literally probably one of the most oldest kind of storytelling twist devices. Um, but I think the the way that it's dealt with where you start talking to these characters and they do all just start talking to you very familiarly, but without actually, you know, really kind of blurting anything out or really giving away too much. Like you speak to Gwen and she talks about all oh, these things that we did when we were children. Do you remember this time and this time? And then Atul comes on and starts referring to, um, to you as his uncle. But, you know, in that same way that, Lots of people, you know, in my mind, refer to each other as like cousins and uncles, especially in certain cultures or cultural backgrounds. And, you know, they they don't mean that they are your, you know, your father's brother. They are just a close family friend or somebody that knew you when you were young. Especially given that they're like anthropomorphized animals as well. Like it's, it's difficult. Yes, and that's, yeah, that's it. If, Brian, if you're okay, just, just very briefly return to like the point yeah, that I was trying to make a little bit earlier couple of things because i think this will naturally seg onto character um but i think the first thing is the the you know the the strap line of the game is a cozy management sim about death and i think that is somewhat misleading or i interpret that in the wrong way uh in particular i don't think it's about death at all i don't think it's about the process of death i think it's about the process of pre-death of late life of late stage mm-hmm. life and the care that's involved there and so the the strap line i think it works against the actual intention of the game. I think the other aspect of the thing is it, it, it. I really do feel like it sets the wrong expectation because every character, in order to actually allow them to to pass over in in the meaningful ways, to basically give them everything that they want, or that's not necessarily the case because um, certain characters absolutely don't want that at all. Like they they see it as a problem. Elena, in particular, you get a um her kind of um affection diminishes if you actually do that but um yeah it's like the the concept of like giving them everything in in terms to allow them to pass over is just a really problematic one to me i I understand like it's about um stella who's a palliative nurse and that's her professional responsibility to do that but if i'm to impose my own relationship onto this game in a way that you know we've talked about how it wasn't necessarily clear on the first pass pre-patches like is it responsible like you know to to put yourself in that position like is it are you really there like are are you capable of um and i don't want to make this a therapy session of course but are you demonstrating true <laughs> love and altruism if you don't give a person everything that they want before they pass away like well rich can yeah. remember you know other games with like romance um options where you're literally just giving gifts i i i you know it feels brave and awkward to me to tackle this in a game, uh, and I'll, I, I, you can speak better to me than me whether it's irresponsible. But games do not have a good track record with like relationship forming and how that's supposed to work, romance and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Again, Persona Five. I just stopped playing. There are some relationships that should not happen in that game, but that are available to you, and it's very transactional and it's not cool. So, well, yeah, I think. And I, I I don't have an answer to that that question. I think, it was I think it's a very good question, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like it's 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 a very good question to ask. And I think you're, I think you're 
response to that or your your interpretation of that um, will be highly specific to your uh, personal experiences. And and to share quickly before we get into kind of the characters, we're not going to talk about all of them, but um, the like for me, where I found this game's irresponsibility there as the person that that nominated this game, who who has a clear affection for this game, right, um, is that. I didn't have as much problem with the uh, approach to the end of life things, but the depiction of death itself is depicted as very peaceful and very serene and beautiful. And and and, and optional. I think that's a nice like there's a thought. sense of choice about it as well, which I find to be yeah. a bit kind of awkward. And in in the you know, and we've all we've all lived lives that have had very real and harrowing situations in them. Like like not all important let's call it important deaths in my life i was like as, as as of saying there are some deaths that weren't important in my life but like all the it, like significantly like life-altering losses that i've had it the the reality of it is not peaceful you know and not serene in a lot mm. of ways but to represent it as such i think is equal parts comforting and reassuring while also not being realistic but maybe realism wasn't the goal yeah. so um but yeah, no, a lot of really, uh, and the fact that, you know, we can all play this game and, and have these different thoughts about how it treats death and how, and, and those themes and, and what is the effectiveness of that? Um, it, it makes for some interesting conversation. Thank you everybody for talking about this, because I know that it's very hard to talk about this without traipsing into, um, I know Rich, you joked about not turning into a therapy session, but we're, we're clearly all referencing our own real moments in our lives. And, and mm. so that, that takes a certain amount of, you know, you, you got to both filter yourself and also kind of dig dig into stuff that maybe you don't want to think about when when you're talking about these things. So thank mm. you all very much for that. And, and yeah, thinking just just very very quickly, even if you haven't been around, not many people close to you have died yet. You know, the character Stanley is eight years old. You know, my eldest son is seven years old, and that that is hard. That's a hard character to read any dialogue from. Yep. Um, and then also my parents are in their seventies. They're both pretty healthy at the moment, but you know, some of the things with, uh, you know, dementia is a big, scary, fearsome, horrible disease that, that has taken some family friends and stuff and really wrecked families, um, leading to suicides of younger, younger family members and stuff. And it just go, or it was the other way around, but anyway, yeah, serious stuff. And it, it, it did touch on those nerves a little bit, this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't touch on them too much for me, actually. So so maybe they, for me personally, just my personal life experience, they kept just within the pocket of not being too kind of upsetting. Mm. I think I think I have a kind of a, a not dissimilar take on that, where um, I haven't had a huge number of people that I've been very close to die, um, but I have had you know a reasonable handful and i i will say that i think the the depiction of death and the kind of pre-death process like the palliative care process that this game presents for me it feels like it's very idealized and it's kind of a yes there are things that are bad about some of these people and the situations for a lot of them are terrible but one thing that kind of happens with everybody or almost everybody in this game is you get to kind of ferry them around, you get to talk to them and run errands for them. And 
I suppose the metaphor is in real life, you know, you are making their final few days or hours comforting and then they are ready to go and you sort of send them off with a hug and some kind words and they they kind of turn into stardust. And I will say that I like that idea. I do think it's very kind of romanticized. I have not known a single person who has died who has had anything like that sort of pre-death experience where things have kind of sure. been allowed to wrap up nicely and calmly and they have sort of lay there in the bed at the end and said I'm ready to go now my mm -hmm. business is concluded it's time to time to pass on to you know whatever's next but yeah, it but has this is never worked like that but this in is my a fan I mean arguably this is a fantasy this mm. is Stella's fantasy in her head of maybe how she would have liked to ferry off these people in her career as a palliative care nurse. I mean, that's mm. a stretch. That's kind of excusing, yeah, that's excusing it a little bit. And I didn't think that before coming into this conversation, but mm. I can I can see an argument. I, I, um, I think, John, you, you kind of really, like, hit upon something there that I was thinking about as I was studying this. You know, it, it is a, a piece of art and it's to be reflected upon. Mm. And really what it, what I'm, you know, when I, when I think about Spiritfarer, the, the take-home for me will be, you know, like, am I ready to be that selfless, to be giving towards mm. somebody who I have a deep affection for as they approach the end of their life? And, mm. and, and that's partly the reason why I think that's quite an upsetting concept because, you know, if... We, to, to pivot onto characters here, you know, Astrid, basically, I feel like her entire plotline is about helping her come to terms with the fact that she can live a fairly successful life as a single woman. And that's kind yeah, of like, like, what has that got to do? Like, where's the, you know, where's the gravitas and the pathos in that particular story? Like, I, I, I don't know. And, and to be brutal with you, I'm not really sure what that has to do with death. Um, I think, well, I, hmm. The, it's the writing. I mean, we we talk about the characters, we talk about the writing, right? And if if there's a strong writer on a game uh, with a big cast, um, I cannot believe I'm going to say this, but again, coming off Persona 5 Royal with an absolutely enormous cast and frequently excellent writing that to distinguish the personalities, um, I think it, there's, with this cast, there are definitely more successful characters than others and i quite like that from the cozy aspect i don't really like co the whole cozy label and stuff wholesome or whatever but the the bits where you just get them talking about their history you know and they just tell you a story from their past frequently those are too long they go on too long but they are nice and they are nice and they feel quite real um uh, rich you were saying to me in the green room or whatever about the problem this game about bio you know the developers saying it's not biography but actually it kind of ends up feeling like some of those stories went wholesale into the game potentially so i think this is where this is where individual interpretation comes into it right and yeah i, I find i find it like interesting to hear you say about astrid about her and astrid is a character that i didn't have a, a very strong connection with in the game but um like <clears throat> you say you know coming to terms with living as a single woman and then I I view that as coming to terms with um, giving love to somebody that is ref refuses to give you the same mm. amount of love back. Yeah. Mm. And I th I see those as two very different things. Um, now, the Astrid was a character that when like like and I'm not trying to be crass or cold here, too, but like like when I took Astrid to the Everdoor, 
I I was it was a little melancholy, of course, and the music does that thing. But like like I was like, yep, I need one more spirit flower to get the boat upgrade. Here we go. <laughs> like they, the, there's a part of that like that progression adds the experience, right? And then, but then there are characters, and maybe this is just the strength of the writing in each character, or maybe how personal the writing mm. is to your life experience. Because I could have a character like Astrid and Giovanni um, Gustav, who maybe weren't my favorite characters in the game or I didn't connect with, but characters like Alice and Summer and Stanley just, I mean, just broke me yeah, when, yeah. when taking them. I, I, I remember not to, uh, just a quick anecdote, um, like when Alice and Rich has already mentioned this about having her, taking her back from the, from the mm-hmm. bow, I'm gonna do my best not to get emotional when talking about it. But like my, my grandmother, when she passed, she was in a very similar state, um, both mentally and physically. And I always remember, <laughs> it's funny cause I was a kid you know, like when when I'd help her walk or younger, I'd help her walk. She would like pull on my arm and like her her kind of her hand would like it would be like real heavy. She was supporting her weight on my arm, and I remember it hurting. You know what I mean? Like mm. it hurt when she did that, and I I never liked doing that. And then when mm. watching that, I would be like, man, I'd give anything to feel that kind of pain and uncomfortable again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. Like you 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 learn mm. to miss those uncomfortable things and and yeah. wish for those times, and so. Uh, my theory is, and and John, I'd like to hear what your thoughts are on this because I, I know everybody. Um, I'm not even going to talk about Stanley. I talked to Rich about Stanley beforehand. I think I would get emotional with Stanley. That that line that he has that he, you know, he wishes his mom or dad was there, but he's happy that Stella's there. Just, I mean, we're we're talking ugly tears. Yeah, um, but, yeah, 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 um, yeah. But uh, John, um, as someone who played through it and and took got all the characters of the Everdoor like I did, were there any specific characters that resonated with you or didn't for whatever reason? Um, I think weirdly, my strongest memories with this were the early characters. I think um, Atoll, who, from what I remember, you don't actually take him to the Everdoor. He just sort no, of yeah. he just vanishes and leaves you a note saying he couldn't couldn't bear to say goodbye or something like that, which was really really difficult for me. Um, and similarly with Alice, I think the um. The thing that gets me about Alice, and I think, is it Beverly, who also has similar situation yes, yes, where she's yeah, kind yep. of lost her mind towards the end? Um, I think for those two resonate very strongly with me because I'm not, I'm not scared of death. I'm not afraid of dying. I've kind of, you know, I'm sort of accepting of the fact that there's a reasonable chance that it will be kind of peaceful. There's also a reasonable chance that it will just, you know, something will happen and I just won't even see it coming and, you know, everything will go black and that'll be that. Um, but the idea of, you know, losing your mind and losing the memories of other people and important experiences in your life, but still being cognizant and even worse than that, the idea of losing memories, but knowing that you're forgetting things or mm, yeah, having flashes absolutely. where you remember and it's devastating to realize that you can't recall that those things are much more worrisome to me and yeah. much more kind of sad to me than actually dying. So those characters I found particularly emotional and particularly difficult to take. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it also helped that, like I say, Alice is very, very early I think the game does somewhat front load some of the better characters Agreed. or the more emotional characters by the yeah. time I got to the end and I had like um which one's the which one's the the kind of the bird who plays D and D is that Buck? Yes. That's Buck, yep. Uh, yeah, him and the two 
frankly asshole <laughs> Bruce and guys Mickey. who want to be like Bruce yeah want to be yeah. like the mafia guys essential them, mobsters but yes. not mobsters yeah them and Elena what their thing was though um, it kind of missed that emotional punch I, missed I, I don't think I, I don't think uh, uh, sorry John I'll, sure I'll seed it. back to you I don't think it was there really yeah. I think you were basically just to try and try and help them work through whatever that like final um, hit was going to be you know that final mm-hmm. like uh, trick that they were going to play whatever the case may be and it kind of died and i guess it's you know in hindsight you can reflect upon it as you know um uh stella's struggling to um reconcile her professional duties against her personal opinions but mm. barely weak characters sorry john i'm not sure about i'm not sure so much about weak characters but not emotionally res um Mm. Uh, resonant in the way that a lot of the others are and again i kind of i'm not sure if i picked up particularly on this during while i was playing i feel like i must have done but i've kind of forgotten but you've got written here in the notes um that he's in a uh, mickey's in a coma from a drunk driving accident um if that's him drunk driving then that suddenly puts very little uh empathy for me so so this, instance. so these these little things that I that I've written here in the show notes that that the people um, we've put together before we record the show, mm-hmm. um, most of this character bio information came from. This was one of the last things I was going to mention. It came from an art book that was released by the developers, and mm-hmm. a lot of these biographies that I've sourced from uh, that memory of the art book or from fandom uh, came directly from that art book. So. After reading these, after the fact, I would look at them and be like, "Oh, I do remember Mickey mentioning a car crash with mm. Bruce," but they didn't. They didn't fully explain it. And if it was fully explained, I either missed it or, um, or, or like you said, like it just it didn't it didn't land in the way that it was supposed mm. to. And I think a lot of the backstories in this game for these characters, I've just kind of done like a little synopsis here. Um, it, uh, most of that came from alternate sources or, or, you know, extra material that what it wasn't like flat out. Ev- not every character got that vignette at the end that fully explained yeah. who they were, why they were mm-hmm. there. And yeah. I think that if each, each character had that, it might've been too much. It might not have, you wouldn't have felt the yeah. need to listen to what they had to say. Cause you knew that eventually mm-hmm. it was going to lay it all out there for you. Um, but it, it does. It's interesting to see how they, they being the developers here, view these characters with their backstories, and then in ju- juxtaposed to how much of that did you did came across to you while playing the game? Yeah. Um. It's it. There's they, they don't marry up. To pretty me. pretty much, uh, I agree. I think, and I'm, I guess this is probably not a very controversial thing to say. I think that the characters are at their best when they're dealing with a very singular problem of or or condition that somebody's dealing with pre-life. So we've talked about uh, pre-end of life. So we've talked about um, Alice, who's uh, losing her mobility. Gwen, who uh, I got, I can't remember. Somebody, one of them developed multiple sclerosis. Um, that was a uh, that was Gustav. Ah, yes, yeah, of course, yeah. Gustav, yeah. Um, Beverly, who clearly is shown demonstrating signs of dementia, like those are very um, easily recon- recognizable, um, you know, problems that people deal with as they reach the end of life. So there's a much more sort of strong metaphor there. But you know, there's, there's things when, when the um, characters start to sort of become a little bit more. Um, pity and three-dimensional, it gets lost. So I don't know if anybody else picked up on this, but I got quite excited when I first met Astrid because she was on the picket lines, like having a really hard left-wing conversation about workers' rights <laughs> yeah, that suddenly yeah. abated. And all of a sudden, Astrid's dealing with um, unrequited love with um, 
Giovanni and and dealing with that. And I'm kind of like, how how did we get from A to B there? You know, like as a yeah. fully kind of mm. hardcore um, card carrying Marxist here, I got really excited at the, the the you know the outset only for the character to basically kind of dwindle, and it was all very yeah. confusing. This is this is a very small point and and trivial really, but the, on Switch this game wasn't technically perfect for me, and the reason that connects to character is that I I think Alice would have ripped me apart uh, if I hadn't run into some they weren't they weren't like bug bugs they were like if you walk here or you trigger this or you you the ship sails into this um, event whilst you're also walking her to the end of the boat, but I just got stuck a couple of times just before taking people to the other door in really, really irritating ways. Like the boat would float into an event, but I'd say no to the event. But then the character had been walking along and saying they wanted to go, walked back and then I had to reset it and load out again. Things like that. There were other also times when things just locked in an animation. I had to restart as well. But in particular with Alice, I remember that I was ready for that farewell to like rip me in shreds. And then just trying to get the boat to the Everdoor, it kept interfering with the walking her up and down the, the thing. And so that was super, super frustrating at just the wrong time. And it really undercut, um, sure. you know, the, the, the I had some issues with the, that when I yeah. when I had multiple characters ready to go to the Everdoor at the same time. Mm. Like I would get to the Everdoor and... Like it, it. I think the game was doing some, you know, internal math of deciding who I was supposed mm-hmm. to take, and it would get a little mix up. I'd have to do a reload. So I, I saw, and that was on Xbox. I saw some of that still on my most recent playthrough um, there. Um, and just before, uh, before we kind of move into the to the the end of what we're doing here, is there any character that anybody wanted to say anything about before we move forward? I don't want to close the door before if somebody had something you know incredibly you know like profound they wanted to say about any of these characters i don't um, know about incredibly profound down. brian but i do want to pick up on on jackie and daria um mm-hmm. john I, I get the feeling that maybe the mm. i don't know why but in, in my head maybe you kind of have some thoughts on jackie and daria um who were brought in as the last kind of like uh update so jackie is ostensibly um uh stella's colleague in real life and orderly in a hospital who is uh, negligent at his job. Um, just the way that Jackie's story weaves in with Daria's and the hospital and the vending machine and all the metaphors that went in there actually did kind of land mm. with me because it's less to do with, yeah. you know, I, I thought that was a very clear example of Stella helping him reconcile with some of the decisions he's made, his own insecurities about being um, negligent at his job, about being indecisive and all of that sort of stuff. Um, it, it just really landed with me and, and ultimately you know jackie in 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 real life terms if you like um was killed uh in a car accident in an untimely fashion and i, I just thought that was one example of where the story actually really worked you know there was a good blend of narrative and metaphor there that actually landed in a much more meaningful way well thanks everybody for sharing all that personal information as we get through this it's kind of hard to talk about this one without getting deep into uh you know some pretty traumatic and and uh less talked about life events so i appreciate everybody uh you know coming coming up and and being willing to talk about these things um before we get to kind of our summaries of the game i have a couple pieces of correspondence i wanted to read um from the patreon veronica jane said 
I wanted to like this game. I really did. I even bought a physical copy with downloadable soundtrack and art book. But the game just never clicked with me. The problem was that the main thing you do in this game is read dialogue, and, well, I didn't like the writing. I didn't find any of it particularly engaging or funny, and unfortunately, without enjoying the writing, the only real gameplay left is chores that became increasingly pointless as I was left with less and less passengers. I suppose this must be what people who didn't like Night in the Woods felt like. Oh, well, (laughs) at least it was a beautiful-looking experience, if nothing else. And then Julia2000 from the forum um, uh, shared this. I watched my wife play Spirit Fair the year my grandmother died. She had disowned me ten years ago after I came out, and we hadn't spoken since. I had always hoped that one day she would see me, but she never did. Watching these flawed, imperfect spirits continually abandon my wife, Stella, made me repeatedly confront my buried feelings about her death. Until I accepted the fact that reconciliation, closure, is rare and never guaranteed. And that's a choice we make every day. We go without forgiving or loving. So when I rock my newborn son late at night and whisper my love to him, I choose to not leave him wondering or wandering in this life or the next. This game takes aim at an incredibly important topic and, in my mind, surpassed or matched so much other art about death. And thank you very much, Julia, for sharing that with us um, and letting us read that on the recording. So... Moving to three-word reviews, we put out a call for three-word reviews at Kane and Rinse on Twitter and threads um, <laughs> as well, um, and you can submit them for potential reading on the show. So Cats and Cucumbers starts off with a chilled, homely, heartwarming. WTF DYW says, hug that cat. Andrew Elmore says, all for Stanley! Aaron Neutral Good says, cozy existential therapy. And Saibutsu, sorry if that's not how you pronounce that word, says uh, sailing on empathy. So, in summary, why don't we start with you, Tom? So, in summary on Spiritfarer, um, I played it under extremely not good conditions. I was rushing through it, um, uh, and it was sandwiched between huge time intensive games uh, that were sort of still holding my attention i guess to some extent um i find this game to be sort of brave and awkward and flawed but with lots of beauty in it um i it's a it's a i can't recommend it full hearted wholeheartedly at all I think if you don't have a high tolerance for Stardew Valley, Subnautica, kind of farming and resource gating stuff, then you are not going to get on with this. You know, I found those aspects to be frequently extremely frustrating, although that might have been because of the way I was playing the context I was playing it in. Uh, Story-wise and characters-wise, brave and awkward just about sums it up i i don't think it's better than other art i've i've experienced about death i think it's the most um thought-provoking game i think i've ever played about that i can definitely say that i'm i thought this this discussion was absolutely fantastic so if nothing else um i really um cherish all of these thoughts about the game and um and happy to have engaged with it in that way but on a purely kind of video game level it really really frustrated me and i think that took away from some of the weight and meaning of the story moments although they still 
they, they you know some of these characters are wonderful and they still got me you know at the at the teary moments they they got to me so they were doing something right at least and uh wonderful soundtrack as well that i think people should check out beyond the game even if you've listened this far but you don't plan on listening to it but uh yeah so so lots of good work here not all fitting into place for me all right thanks tom uh rich yeah okay so i mentioned fairly early on that um brian posted a, a link to a fairly kind of extensive i guess it was about 28 minutes documentary uh talking heads with uh the developers here and and i, I maintain that wish i'd never watched that video before actually coming into this because <laughs> i take no pleasure in um criticizing the work especially with names to faces it's really difficult but you know that's just context I'm going to start my summary by saying and reminding everybody that I played this game to 98%. I gave it everything that I possibly could. I got everything that I possibly could out of the game with the exception of one or two fairly frustrating and very, very optional things to do. Um, I was looking to try and get as much out of this game as possible. I really wanted it to affect me and it didn't. Um, I still maintain that it is manipulative in certain places, especially with music. And I think when you're having a conversation about death and the process of dying, the benchmark, you should expect a high level of quality in writing that I don't think this game necessarily delivers on. Personally, when you're talking about death or anything that is as evocative as that, my heckles are immediately up and I expect a better quality of writing than what we got in this game. However, what I will say is uh, in watching the documentary, I can't lie the amount of... um effusive praise that the developers got and the the way that they were able to to sort of generate conversations from the audience and help certain audience members work through some of their hang-ups on death is to be absolutely you know applauded that that's incredible i just would caution um anybody to look at spirit fair as the kind of um zenith of of how uh games of, of about death ought to be built because i don't think we're quite there yet as a medium um ultimately the game is infinitely playable you know it is a very robust game put together it, it's a nice experience but i think um i just couldn't quite get over some of the barriers that were there um but that's not to say other people would enjoy it and if you do get something from it then wonderful like i'm i'm delighted i just wish that i could have as well and and I'm a little bit saddened that I couldn't get there, but um, yeah, here we are. Thank you very much, Rich. Um, I'm going to go next before we finish up with John. Um, this is my suggestion to the uh, volume this year, not just because it's a game that I love. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Not just because it's a game that I love, uh, which it is, um, but because this game I thought would make for a really interesting conversation. And I'm happy to to say that I, I think that we accomplished that. Um, I think as Rich so eloquently put it multiple times through the show, as well as Tom and John, um, that this game will be different for you based on your own personal life experiences. And certain things may affect you more in, than in some ways than it would, uh, you know, affect the next person down the road. Um it does have a lot of game in it. Um, it does, as I said, and, and the crafting and the resource management and all that stuff. And at times I found that stuff thrilling as someone who has put thousands of hours into the Stardew Valleys of the world and, and, and things like that. I, I found that stuff wonderful. Sometimes I found it tedious to the point of mind numbing and, and, and almost experience breaking for me. But 
there are four or five moments in this game that I think that I will never forget. And those are those moments. I took those characters. I had that profound connection with to the Everdoor and that, and had that moment of them passing on to the other side and, and finishing their life. And whether or not I think that is a realistic portrayal of death that does not change how that representation affected me in the moment. And those moments to me were beautiful and heartbreaking and like peaceful and chaotic. It was, it was all these things wrapped into one. And I, it's one of those games that says to me and something I say fairly often in these long winded summaries I give is that this game does something that no other medium can do. Like this is a video game driven experience that you only, I only felt those connections with those characters because of what I did in the game, the amount of time I had spent with these characters in the game, the fact that I had some agency over whatever tasks they had given me menial or otherwise to get them to this point. And when I, when I would have that person, you know, go through the Everdoor, and that's where I'm going to struggle with that. And I came back and Stanley's room was empty, you know, like that moment, as much as it's, I'm struggling to talk about it now, like those moments had impact and it just made me kind of do a bit of an inventory of, of what things are important in my world in my day-to-day life and what things I get stressed out about and what things emotionally affect me and how at the end of all of that, none of that stuff is going to matter. None of it. None of the things that stress me out on a day-to-day basis are going to matter at that moment. And I think for me having that context was reassuring and made me feel better. And I can't speak enough about those moments. It's such a small fraction of the game that, that we played, that we all played the hundreds of hours we all put into it. But those moments to me made the entire experience just profoundly worthwhile. And, um, I'm not sure if I'll ever find a point, a reason to go through this game for a fourth time. Um, but when I do, I know, I, I know that I'll do it with a smile on my face and looking forward to feeling those feelings again, because we live in a world where sometimes it does feel hard to feel anything real at any given point. So, um, became a very important game for me. John, why don't you wrap us up? Oh, it's always difficult going last in these situations because I feel like the three of you have basically made such a good selection of points between you that kind of covers everything that, that I would say about this myself. I mean, I am not endlessly, endlessly positive or heaping praise on this game. Uh, I think it's it did do something that got its hooks into me, and there was a lot of a lot of the times in it that 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 kind of melancholy, but also very beautiful at the same time combination of visuals and and music, even with the writing, which was in places very entertaining and could be quite moving but also was in lots of places just very incidental or very kind of pointless I mean we didn't really mention the fact that you can walk around I don't know how many little towns and settlements there are in this game with little side quests there must be dozens and dozens of them um and you can you can sort of talk to all these little spirited away looking ghosts in these towns and a lot of them will just bark some fairly meaningless line of dialogue back at you like uh, yeah, leave me alone or uh, I like going to my house or just really mundane nonsense like lock my door please don't come in um, 
but there's there's all this kind of humor and stuff that's that's like tied into that as well and it's it's kind of this it, it i think to draw a really strange metaphor like the idea of going to one of these little towns or cities in the game and going and talking to all the npcs is kind of a a theme for how the whole game feels like there's a lot of it it's kind of semi like just tedious nonsense and semi like really really well written well thought out like poignant things that just come seem like they come from nowhere and you kind of you don't know whether the next 10 minutes of your game are going to be the mundanity or something really really special um and whether that's something that you can kind of wrap your head around and you know go through the mundane bits and even in a lot of cases like I did enjoy playing the mini games and quite enjoyed the the kind of the box checking doing your cooking and shearing your sheep and everything all at the same time and trying to min max your your kind of efficiency um or whether whether you just find that irritating and it kind of being a roadblock to getting to the end of the game um is obviously not a question that I can answer for you um without trying it out and it's I think at the moment it's currently available on the like the the tier of the PlayStation Plus thing that I'm using um it's quite an easy kind of easy little thing to kind of sink into I think you will realize very very quickly whether you like it or not um but it, it has the possibility for uh you know certain people who are similar mindset to me that it could be something that you really really enjoy so I would say at least give it a go it could turn out to be something that you really 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 like uh, on all sorts of levels and if nothing else the soundtrack is very much worth listening to basically any piece of music from the game at any point in time uh, even including the uh, the bus stop music with its weird horns and honking and all the other crap that goes <laughs> along with it give it a damn court it's fun <laughs> thank you very much john it just remains for me, Brian, to thank you, John, Rich, and Tom, Editor Jay, and of course, all of you for listening. Next time, in issue 578, the Shinobi continue their quest to destroy all foul mutant heads and mecha Godzillas in Shinobi 3 Return of the Ninja Master.